What's up, everybody? Welcome to Benchtown TV. My name is Jim, and I'm here with my co-host and fellow night boy, Tyler. And we are back covering True Detective Night Country, Episode 5. The penultimate is over. We have one episode left. For everyone who's been following along ever since the beginning, we appreciate every single one of you. If you are new to the podcast, we're just going to do a quick intro, not our normal long one, but... All we ask is you check us out at BenstownTV.com or check us out on any of your favorite podcast apps at Benstown TV. just because the show is almost over. And if anyone is enjoying our coverage, we are covering so much other stuff coming up in the future. And we have covered so much in the past. 100 different TV shows, four years. We're sure there's something you love. So please check us out. Benstown TV. Hit that subscribe button. We love you guys forever. But we're here, Tyler. The Night Boys are back. I want to start off hot, okay? Hit me so, yeah. So from the very beginning of this show, episode one, there was the True Detective season one trolls, okay? The people that love True Detective season one so much and they just can't deal with the fact that there's either a connection to season one or even the fact that there's more than one season of True Detective. They just said automatically season four is going to suck. It's the worst thing ever, okay? Those people we've already addressed, but now I'm I'm very much so starting to see the pulse of social media, Facebook fan groups, Reddit, where people don't have very nice things to say about the season, especially after this episode. Really getting into like, this is trash. This writing is awful. I mean, I was surprised at some of the comments, and it seems like it's a substantial amount. I just want to throw this to you. I want to hear your thoughts on that. I want to know what you think of the season so far. After episode five, if anything's changed for you, what do you do? Go. <laughs> well, hello, everyone. And yeah, <laughs> I guess uh, I guess to just lay this out first, I am the worst social media person out there. Everybody engaging on Twitter and our Discord, I have tried to be active on there, and I appreciate, I love how the uh, Discord is actually getting rolling, and I'm going to be commenting on that a lot before the finale. But when it comes to Reddit and Facebook, you're not going to find your boy hanging out there. So what I will say is that are there particular nitpicks or problems that I had with this episode and just where we are going in the finale? Sure. Do I think that it's a bad show or bad writing? Uh, no, not at all. So again, to comment on somebody on Twitter that was coming at me saying that we're getting paid by Max, I would love to get paid by Max. They can <laughs> yeah, ship right. me over a paycheck. But just from watching this show through the lens of trying to have an intriguing mystery, stick the landing on the true detective vibe, and then Issa also blending in her own filmmaking style into it. I think that she's done a great job. We're going to get into a little bit more of some of the questions that I have. But like anything, I've said it multiple times. I just want anybody that binge watched season one that's commenting on season four right now to go fuck right off. Because... I know that 99% of these assholes sitting on these sites trashing season four, which isn't even done yet, probably watched season one all in a row like a year ago. So this is what it takes to watch a mystery show week to week. It is about asking questions, enjoying the ride. Yes. Calling things out when there's nitpicks. And I would love, you know, again, we have a discord, we have a Twitter. I like to think that I'm pretty like if I'm missing something after you listen to this episode, then 
please hit me up on it because Jim and anybody that's listened to me on other shows here know that I'll be as critical as the next person, but I would have a hard time buying into the narrative that this is not well-written. I think that's lazy. That's a lazy and weak critique. That's my point. Yeah. I knew I could count you to spit some hot fire to start the episode, Tyler. So I agree with you. I don't understand where, I mean, listen, I already brought it up in the very beginning of this episode. There have been people that have been coming at the show since the very beginning. I tweeted and it actually got a lot of support that you have to let Issa write her story, tell the story that she wants to tell before you make any judgments. I don't judge unless a show is like really not good. I don't judge something, especially when it's an HBO prestige TV kind of show. I don't judge it until the show is over. I will be more of a Debbie Downer, I think, when we talk about this episode, just because I think that my questions that I have are going to turn into, I don't know if they're going to be answered because I don't know if there's time anymore. That is the one thing that I'm worried about. We'll get into that. We'll get into that. And so we, look, will. we will. Get let's into launch it. into it. And let me do my quick rundown for everybody. And again, this this was a tough one because we're coming at you on our, you know, at our normal time. I know that this episode was out on Friday to avoid the uh, Super Bowl, uh, which I totally get. So some of you might have been percolating with this for a while. But my hope is it's the work week. That's when you really want to hang with the night boys. So hopefully hopefully this is coming in good time. But we start off the episode with the cremation of Julia moving into Otis Heiss being stashed away, if you will, in the lighthouse by Danvers. And talking about how he lost his sight and his hearing, um, a riot's forming. Leah and Navarro get into the mix. Our boy Petey finally is sent packing and is shacking up with his dad, Hank. We find the Tuttle link mm-hmm. in, that we kind of knew coming while Connolly and McKidrick are double teaming Danvers in a big way to get her off the case. Hank is. Working for the bad guys, which again, you know, he's smarter than he looks. He is scumming his son. And it all ends with a pretty explosive final five minutes of the episode where we have to pour one out for for Hank Pryor, for the talented John Hawks. And we're set in the finale with our protagonists heading towards the mine, towards the ice caves. Yeah. So look. Mm-hmm. As I put, there's a there's a lot to go in here. I think maybe the easiest way for us to just start this conversation is for me to kind of go. I want to go down a couple of the areas that if I was going to say, hey, the writing is getting a little flimsy in certain areas. I want to attack them first, but use those to go through it. Does that sound good for you, Jim? Sounds good to me. Okay, so little thing here, but from from the writing piece, we talked about Right when we heard in episode two, you know, the backing of Tuttle United, that for anybody that watched True Detective season one, it's a nice nod. I I like how it's just like kind of the shadow organization in this season. But that's what got us on the path of thinking, you know what, maybe Salal's got something to do with this pollution. Mm -hmm. Well, in this episode, Pete finds the link, you know, the holding company of the Silver Sky Mining is also tied to Tuttle United. So essentially... Silver Sky Mining is funding Salal Station. They add in that Salal Station is putting out pollution reports, which yeah. 
I might be wrong here, but I went back and I watched like a bunch of parts, clips from the show. I was on a flight today, so I had time to like download the episodes and watch little pieces. And they never say that anything Salal does is tied to reporting on pollution. So that to me, that was my one going like, I'm like, eh, like I want to see where it goes next episode, but I don't see why they had to bring like just them being linked and there being pollution in the town. Like you could, from a writing perspective, like try and draw some, something that the mine is doing to cause the pollution. Now this is, going to be answered next week but i would have liked to know before this episode that salal station was in some way responsible for creating different weather and pollution reports did i miss something or did you have the same thought jim no and this is where one of my worries comes from because we've been trying to figure out what the deal is and i'm going to give it i'm not going to say props well, actually, for now, I'm going to say props. We'll find out next episode if it's props or not. But this is one of the first shows in a very, very long time where I just can't figure out. I'm the theory guy. Like, I don't even care if I'm right or wrong, but I can usually think of something that can connect all the dots. And it might be so left field and off, but it at least makes sense to me. And I'm like, all right, maybe I got it right. This show, I don't think I can figure out how we're going to connect certain things and throughout the episode meaning this podcast episode we'll talk about them but my worry is that them bringing up this pollution i really hope that the end game is not going to just be hey we have silver sky mining and evil tuttle united and they are causing pollution to this town and they're trying to cover it up and you know yeah, and, I, and for and to be clear i'm going into the finale thinking that they're throwing the pollution numbers out as a red herring because we, as the viewer already know that Annie gets to the mine and says, I found it. She found something that is directly relating to what she was looking for. So I think it's a red herring and maybe it's like, as the viewer, you're supposed to be thinking, Oh, they're just making like this bullshit connection because they know that something's wrong. And that's why Kate McKittrick's character is kind of like, uh yeah, we'll look into that because she's probably like, oh yeah. sweet. Like, you know, you're close, but you're really not on to it. That right, you know, if that's the case, then it actually makes sense that they talk about the pollution reporting. But I would have liked, but if they're gonna even throw it out there as a potential theory, I would have liked in a previous episode, even if it's a one offhand comment, they say, Yeah, and Salal sometimes creates like reports based on the the minerals that they're mining and stuff like that. It's a small thing, but it's a big thing if it does pay off next episode. So if that's again, the answer, then it's a huge thing. But like you said, I'm really hoping it's not because that would be to me way too straightforward cookie cutter of an ending for this show. And it doesn't make sense when it comes to certain things that are spiritual and supernatural. Like I said, I definitely can't connect with pollution to what we're, you know, unless like well, a lot of yeah, people, like the, like the, the pollution side of it, there's we talk about how there's the two sides of this, the pollution part of it is leading to stillborns, which leads Annie K to stumble on what she stumbles on and she dies. So that's one half. And that's like the, the detective side of it. And that's right. where we're getting a lot of pieces where we're still not getting a lot of answers. I think we're getting some answers mixed in there, which we'll have to talk more about, but the, the scientists are still like for, 
I mean, it's just you're blind guessing at what happened with the scientists, which I have another theory and I'll talk to you about it whenever it makes sense on this episode. But like I said, I just can't freaking think of a way you can't put it together. Well, I mean, that's also by design because we have not seen Clark yet. And that's really we talk a lot about this is a six episode season, but I guess the pro for Anissa Lopez of writing a six episode season is that you might not think it, but they cover a lot every episode mm-hmm. and it's just such an abbreviated time period that like when it comes to answering questions in an hour show next week, she can answer a fuck ton of questions. They're jumping around left and right. I'm not worried about that. I'm more worried about how it will land and how it will yeah. feel when we're all said and done. I mean, just going around this pollution narrative, though, Kate McKidrick, I do think I like the way her character was weaved in the show before this point in the little ways, right? In episode two, you know, we see that her and Danvers hate each other because Danvers slept with her husband, but she does own the community center ice rink, whatever. Episode mm-hmm. one, they say that Navarro tussled with McKidrick and he goes, oh, fuck. Episode four, we see that she's got the power to press charges. And mm-hmm. so I actually think they did a good job of not overpowering you with her, but like weaving in that this person has a lot of fucking power in this town. And that's why, like, I think anybody watching this, when you're watching the show and like the opening song ends, which, you know, we haven't talked about it enough, but you know, I, I'm a I'm a big true detective opener critic, and the Billie Eilish song is doing it for me. But they oh, always sh- they always show you like a scene, and that scene is going to be important to the episode. And in episode five, they show you the scenery of where Hank and McKidrick meet, and McKidrick essentially says, "Hey, Hank, like you know, we gave you money, which we had Hank down on that." We knew yeah, that, dude. Sketchbag. I, yeah, I think a lot of people. I think a lot of people saw this coming a bit, but they gave Hank money. They promised him a promotion to do something. We learned at the end of the episode that he was in charge of moving Annie Kay's body from the ice cave to mm-hmm. the mine. But then also, she's like, "Hey, Otis Heiss can sink us," and that draws us to our our friend Otis Heiss. Now, before we talk about him, another thing that is grinding my gears a little bit. What was the significance of the eardrum rupture at the end of the last episode? If it's not even mentioned a week later, I get that it's a week later, but it's like they don't mention that there was a weird Christmas tree down there. What did Navarro see? What made her eardrum pop? I don't know. Like this could be maybe they bring it up next episode when they go back to a low area in the caves. Right. But that to me feels like it's something that like is left on the cutting room floor. It's and, a miss to me. Like, honestly, yeah, I was like, what? right at the beginning, I'm like, she's hearing fine. And then they show Otis Heiss is in the lighthouse. I'm like, what the fuck did we just pulled Otis Heiss out? We got out of the ice cave. And we said, sweet. You got a bloody eardrum. Give it six days. A couple Advil. Talk to me then. Like, what yeah. the fuck was that even about? It makes the end of episode four, which was kind of cool feel very meaningless and i didn't like that didn't make me feel good jim (laughs) no listen man i'm on your side where i'm still enjoying the show i think it's a good show i'm not anywhere close to what the people are saying but i made a tiktok about this because i was so pissed off and 
It's just oh, you know you're pissed off when TikToks are getting. I'm making a TikTok, dude. But you, but like the deal is, man, you know what my problem is. Like, if there's a supernatural element, you need to talk about this on the show. Like, I brought up another TikTok, and I don't think I really talked to you about it in episode four. But one of the big things here that people think about for their theories is that the water's poison, right? We know that, but like maybe yeah, there's yeah. some hallucinogenic property to it, and there yeah. are scenes where. Somebody splashes their face at water. Someone drinks water. And literally, like, the next scene is hallucinogenic, right? So, obviously, Navarro cleans herself up with the water with our boy Kavik. Next thing you know, the rest of the episode is majorly, major hallucinations for her, right? So, that kind of stuff here, I understand. And I talk to you, and I'm like, dude, there's certain things. I get it. But tell me why a ghost screams in her ear and her eardrum pops, right? And her ear is bleeding. That does not make sense to me. Like... So I'm waiting for this to be answered in this episode, because if you don't answer it, I'm annoyed. And they didn't even bring it up for one second. I mean, she doesn't say like, what? Can't hear you out of my ear. Like, she doesn't say anything, dude. Like, <laughs> give me, give me that. Yeah, give me that. My, ears, mean, my seven, ear's still healing. Seven days later, I mean, she looks pretty damn good in her face for getting beat up. But I'll allow that. But I'm not going to allow the eardrum thing to just go away. Like, they didn't say anything about how she was pretty much like traumatized looking, ear bleeding. Danvers doesn't say like, you all right, man. I know that was tough in the dredge. He's like, you're, you're doing okay. Like if they said that I'd still be pissed because I want to know what made her ear pop, but still at least bring it up. I don't understand, man. I really don't. Yeah. And look, that's the, that's the piece. I'm not convinced that that won't be answered in the finale. And I think it will. I do think that like, a scene just acknowledging that that happened and we've moved forward a week is helpful. And in maybe such a tight show, like these are the things I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt, but I agree with you. Like, let it, me bring this up. And I brought this up last episode. Okay. And I'm using the same analogy. Okay. So in Dexter, new blood, no spoilers, but there's like a villain, a minor villain in the grand scheme of things. But because they don't like give you a send off for him, it makes you think he's going to end up being a big deal by the end of the season, right? And me and Kathleen are doing our podcast, and a lot of people are theorizing, being like, well, this guy's got to come back. I mean, where is he? Like, what what the hell happened to him? We talked to the director and showrunner, and he goes, listen, it's on the cutting room floor. We had a, a literal scene of him getting on his helicopter and piecing out, being done, and, you know, we're sorry, but we just didn't show you. And I'm like, respectfully, that stinks because I'm thinking that he's going to show up and he's like, no, no, I, I get it. Right. So did you say I that hope... to him or did you check no, him out? No, no. We talked to him pretty well. <laughs> I mean, it was a good conversation. He actually, I mean, Dexter new blood is very polarizing. He got like death threats at the end of it. So he thought we were going to tear him up. So, and we had me and Kathleen actually liked it, you know, for the most part, but we told him like our problems and he respected them. And he told us the answers. Like he told and, us why Yeah, that's, I like to think in six episodes, this is storyboarded to death and like, because every scene really does like you get something out of it. But yeah, that that is really strange that they didn't bring it up at all. I, I feel like the argument against that, because I thought about this being like, am I out of line here? And the argument yeah. could be and the argument could be like, look, you know, a week goes by and we right away show you Otis Heist talking about a supernatural event where, you know, to recap it, when asked what happened to his hearing and vision which um i thought that he was totally blind but there she's like 
point we out this it's map. One eye. I'm yeah, like, it's one oh eye. God, yeah, yeah. He he's hanging in there, but he's not. He's not yeah. in great shape. He says that like, hey, when they're digging out the caves, ice collapsed. Guys were trapped in there. We were looking for help, couldn't get any. We heard howling. All the people started walking towards it. I did, and then all of a sudden, I woke up in the hospital. So similar, like a more epic event to what happened in Navarro, where she's kind of lured to this Christmas tree, and and then all of a sudden, she's done. But yeah, I, I could have used just like some acknowledgement of it. We've seen this show use like cut-ups, so I wouldn't be surprised if in like the beginning of next episode, they're in the ice cave, and it shows her like flashing back to that in Navarro's character and she's like oh no my ear my hearing did get lost a little bit yeah. in that but yeah that that was a bit disappointing uh just for the flow of the episode and going to Otis Heiss we barely knew him the poor man was just just looking for that yeah. smack at every corner um <laughs> he gives them the entrance to the cave he gives them the main point so this guy he did his best. Instead of taking the tests, he took two to the chest. <laughs> a little POD for any of you out there. Um, <laughs> but I will say that Otis is, a, is an interesting character to me because it strings in another person that has now been essentially, whether it was the mining company or Salal or whoever's doing it, like this person is, they're a race off the face of the earth. and they're working for Salal. And I think that's yeah. effective because that leads you to think, okay, I've met Oliver Tagak. I've met Otis Heiss. And the question that I think they want you to be asking, which is interesting, is how many other people are working for this fucking company that are essentially, oh, yeah. you know, we, we start off the season saying, oh, we've got seven scientists up there, but it's this network of people doing God knows what, which we're going to figure out. Um I think the last thing that I'll hit on, and then I just want to go through a couple beats in the episode that we missed, unless there's something you want to go to. I keep talking about the storytelling that it takes to do a six episode drama. Mm -hmm. And this is where I also think that like anybody going at the writing is looking in the wrong direction for their feelings. I think they've tried their best in the limited amount of screen time they can get to show you as the viewer some of these relationships being impactful. For the sake of this, I'm going to lean on a couple. So Pete and Hank and Navarro and her sister, Julia. So mm -hmm. Pete and Hank, you've got, you know, him getting hit in the second episode. You've got them having a good conversation around the holidays. A nice little thing that people probably forget, but Pete says, in episode two, that his father played in a band, played guitar, yep. but he never got to hear him. And he got to hear him uh, and and just mentioned like the psychological effect of their mother essentially not thinking that they were good enough at all. Right. Mm -hmm. So I I'm not saying that I don't buy it, but at the end of the day, right, like when I look at Pete as a character. I think that the ending was so good of this episode, because as the viewer, you actually do care about the relationship between Pete and his dad. But if you intersect that with the relationship between Pete and his wife and son, yeah. I don't give two shits about them. They have some scenes, so they try. But, you know, all I know is that his son is drawing potentially the ghost that'll be in the finale or whatever. He's getting a handy in front of his son and he's never had yeah. And it doesn't make you feel really anything when he gets kicked out. You're just like, oh, yeah, that, that was bound to happen. Yeah. 
as part and of the, the plot. Yep. So from a writing piece, it's really important for the writing because that's what smart lead leads to Pete ultimately being at Danvers house when mm-hmm. all of this goes down. So you can see like from a writing perspective, if you're storyboarding it, it makes a lot of sense. Okay. Pete goes to Hanks. He he's cr- trying to crack the Wheeler case and that whole thing leads him to go to Danvers house. And then it makes sense that this happens. But when you don't have that initial buy-in of really giving a shit about his wife and kid, then it makes it a little bit hollow when they like throw him out. It's just like, I mean, if I went back in time, there could be a million different things that you could have that eventually bring him to get at Danvers' house, right? Yeah. And, And that kind of goes with last episode when we were talking about You know, not really feeling much in the relationship between Navarro and Julia. You feel for Navarro's character because we are with Navarro all the time. You don't really, you see Julia sparingly. It's kind of like, okay, fine. She's out of the, she's out of it. And the plot device that that kind of spurs along at the ending of this episode is that, guess what? Otis Heiss is at the lighthouse. Because her sister died, Navarro had to tear up the lighthouse. That's why she can't go get Otis Heist. So, like, again, that's writing. The writing is makes total sense. And it all checks out if you were storyboarding it. But it's a lot harder in six episodes to then make me feel that relationship. Where, look, if this was eight episodes and the people that are critics of it are probably saying, Tyler, fuck you. Like, I don't want more episodes. But, like, that is what <laughs> True Detective Season 1 nailed is that not every episode was awesome, but you really felt, you know, a gut punch when Marty loses his kids or, you know, when Rust actually, you know, cheats with Marty's wife. You feel it where if they had to abbreviate that into six episodes, I don't think that that effect would come in. What are your thoughts on that point? I agree with you. I think that the show is lacking when it comes to making you feel emotions for the characters that aren't your main characters. Jokingly, I love my boy Kavik, but it looks like he's also going to be pushed to the side where it's just like, hey, I'm the boyfriend. Please come back, Navarro. I don't want him to die, but, it, you know, would have been better if they were like, hey, man, please help us get through these fissures and stuff. But it looks like he's just going to be like, the please come back kind of boyfriend. And then he's we're done with him, which is a shame. But also Lee and Danvers, Julia Navarro, Pete and Kayla, Pete and Hank, like every character that's not our main characters it's tough to feel the connections to them it's tough to care about the connections just because like you said six episodes i'm focusing so much on this mystery and we did talk about it true detective is majorly big on you know the characters the, the actual detectives and i think they're doing great with our two detectives but i just don't feel anything for any of the other side characters yeah, I know we're, you were talking earlier uh, in jest about like understanding the mystery, but as we go into the finale, I have no doubt that maybe it's not satisfying, but like they're going to answer the mystery. We're going to know who killed Andy Kotak and why. We're going to know what killed the Salal scientists, and whether we like the the answer to that, we'll see. But it's almost like what I get more worried about is like, is this show going to end and like? Rose Agonal, like Fiona Shaw's whole role was that she finds the bodies using, you know, Russ Cole's dead. Like, 
they they have a lot of meat on the bones for some of these ancillary characters. And I don't want to look back on it and just be like, oh, well, Kavik was needed in the writing because he finds Oliver Tagak and his the guy that works at Kavik's restaurant is able to tell us more about the Carcosa Stone. It's like, well, yeah, that's logically makes sense to storyboard the the, the mystery right the plot like, and the mystery but not on. even when it comes to that scene which we will get into that scene but with that scene it's like what you don't have her phone number you can't give her a goddamn call like you got to go running around town looking for her just to kick the door in and be like tell her what you told me bro tell her like you just call her and be like yo i got something to tell you um but yeah listen <laughs> yeah get to my house now <laughs> I might as well go here now, and my worry is I'm going here, dude. My worry is honestly that I don't know if I'm going to be satisfied with what they give us. I agree with you. They are going to give us an answer, obviously. Maybe I'll be happy with part, and then I'll have too many questions, or maybe logically I'll say, okay, that's fine. I just don't – maybe it's because usually I can like think of something, but I just don't know what they could do that would make me – think it was satisfying like tyler they could say the goddess of their culture came and destroyed everybody while also we're polluting the town they could say somebody nailed it on reddit where they're saying that and i'm going to butcher it but it's basically like when you are uh, mining or drilling for oil let me read it actually because it's kind of really like my newest thing that i'm saying is <laughs> might be my, my new, answer, it's my so. new thing my new thing dude Okay, so the theory that I found on Reddit, and I want to give them the props, okay? So this is Barth, Black Sword, Stark. The mine and Salal are working together, which obviously mean you call from the very beginning. They're illegally diggling. Re- illegally diggling. <laughs> they're, they're illegally diggling. Yeah, they're using diglet to dig into the... To dig into- <laughs> yeah. So they're illegally digging for oil using infrasounds causing water pollutions, and the infrasounds are causing the hallucinations still burst, burst eardrums, eye burns, etc. And there are infrasound generators that look like the Silver Sky Mining logo when you're drilling oil. And it makes sense for a lot of things, okay? Say you get close to this drill and you get close to the spot where they are drilling oil and you're Otis. He hears a howling, right? He hears the infrared sound. You get too close, everything disappears on you, right? Your eyes go blah your ears burst you're hallucinating that kind of stuff makes sense our theory that clark gets mad at the other scientists for killing annie he leads them to the drill and they are boom infrared sound (laughs) we'll talk about what they actually say they are the avalanche or whatever but also like a like a physical thing to find in the caverns is this drill right is this infrared sound machine all that stuff is great but then you know why was Navarro so far away in the dredges and her ear pops, you know, from the ghost? And there's other things that weave around it. But I think this is my favorite theory at this moment. Yeah, I mean, that would be to me, that would be. And we don't know the science for anybody that's listened to us since the start, especially when the science teacher got in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right? We don't know the science well enough to explain it. But that's to be honest, that's kind of what I'm looking for. Like, and I know uh, not everybody watched season three, but like in the finale of season three, a lot of the mystery is solved in the first half of the episode. And then what that means for them 
is almost more important, right? And that's what what is the conclusion, which I really enjoyed. And that's the piece where I don't think that we're going to be like 40 minutes in and that scene where Danvers goes into the ice is going to happen. I think it's going to happen like in five minutes of being in this episode. And I think that once I get into the cave, they're probably going to find Clark. They're going to find what it is, which to your point, it could be the drill. Could be, you know, we've been talking about how they get the how these guys are getting the ice out of there. There's a million things of what it could be. For example, I would be very satisfied with that, to be honest, if it was like they killed uh, Annie because she caught on to it. Whether, you know, I, I do want to add in here that before we talked about, oh, well, maybe Oliver Tagak is the one who found her, stomps her out with like his snowshoes. That's all the points. Um, a couple of things that I was thinking just this episode about that one, I do think it would be pretty impactful for in this whole show, which is in some ways, like, you know, got a battle of the genders or a battle of culture. It might be kind of hollow if like a a new UPAC member is the one who kills Annie. So I kind of wouldn't like that as much because it would almost feel like Jesus Christ, like, like everybody that lives there is talking about how they live the land, the culture that they have. And this guy for some money to be an engineer for Salal is the one who kills her. And that's what almost got me more on the, I'm sure that you caught it this episode too, but when Hank was telling a story to Pete and then when, when Rose Aguinald is digging to create a grave entrance for Julia's remains, they keep showing us a pickaxe, right? This idea of a pickaxe. And that to me almost became more, uh, I was like, okay, like if somebody was like just pickaxing her, that could be the type of weapon that could do that, the damage that they're saying Annie had against her. And maybe the tongue cutting out and stuff like that was something Oliver Tagak did because he knew it would tie it back to him or whatever. But I went over a couple of things there, but how would you feel if somebody that is a native was responsible for Annie Kay's death? And then what are your thoughts on the pickaxe? I'm actually out on Oliver as the killer by the end of this episode because of the explanation that we get from our boy Kavik's friend, what the swirl, you know, what that the means, warning. right? Yeah, it's a, it's warning. a warning. And he left them a warning, right? So to me, it seems like, and to anyone listening, when I say left them a warning, when they go to see Oliver, he's very confrontational. He's gone the next day. They go to see him again. And all that's left is the stone with the swirl, which is a warning. And when you see Annie's video and you look up at the ceiling, there's the swirl, right? That is the warning, you know, that's a swirl that you could break into to get into the caverns, right? So my thoughts are that, yes, he still was involved. Obviously, he was involved with the operation, not necessarily Annie Kay's death. My thoughts are maybe it's just still going to be Lund or something or whatever. I still like the theory that Lund or some of the other scientists found out, killed her without Clark knowing and whatever we've been saying. But Oliver, to me now, seems like he was definitely that red herring. He left them the warning, but he doesn't want to be involved with them. He's not going to actually talk to them, but he left them a warning. So I don't think he's going to be the killer. You know who, you know who I'm going to throw out there as my Hail Mary killer? Throw it. Be, and I don't even remember her name, but the white red Blair. girl. Blair. Yeah, Blair. So you saw her, right, in the background? Yeah, she comes into the laundromat. The thing that it would actually pay off in everything we're talking about here, if it was someone like Blair, 
is we're essentially saying that the mine is funding all these people and there's almost all these people living in like complete anonymity that are tied to Salal that don't even have like social security numbers when they leave and things like that. All we know about this woman Blair is that she's got her fingers cut off from yep. having a couple night shift, double shifts, and then coming into work. She is in random scenes. Like she's in three random scenes at this point. She gets beat up by her, by her boyfriend. She gets asked about the Carcosa symbol by the other cleaning lady who she's very with, sketchy, which again, that cleaning lady is tied to Salal. So like right there, you've got a Salal. And then she's almost seems like she's following like Navarro mm-hmm. or she's very interested in the car, in the Carcosa stuff, right? Like when, yeah, what's happening is Kavik's like running down the street to find Navarro. If she's not answering her phone and she just enters afterwards, like she's almost following yeah. Kavik. And when they take the prince, it looks like there's two fingers missing from the prince, right? Listen, we know that the two of them end up being basically like maids for Salal. So yeah, they could touch the clothes and stuff and her prince could be on it. But I don't know why you keep I showing her. She, yeah, I think that she is also working for Salal. And Lark could have killed the scientist, but it could have been a situation where, yeah, like workers working in Salal and someone like Blair was responsible for killing Annie somehow. Um that would pay off and more also, to me, and I'm, I'm hoping that that comes to fruition. Otherwise, I'm like, is this like one of the side director's daughters or something? Like, what the hell yeah. is the point of her being? And, a- and obviously, you know, of course, the Yellow King stuff from season one. And yeah. when you first meet, and I don't really like spoiling stuff, but there's not much you could do. But when you first meet our villain in season one, if you look at the sign, it, you can kind of see how it says like King, right? And in first time you meet our girl. Blair. There's the sign for the blue crab, whatever. And if you're looking at it, it says like blue. Everyone thinks it's the blue king when you're going to like theories. Yellow king, blue king, right? Now, I agree that I think that that would be cool, but you really need to explain it to me to make me think that some girl that you're showing for four scenes is going to be our killer. Well, it wouldn't. I don't think it actually like we'll see what pays off. That is something that would be complete conjecture, but she's been tied to enough stuff where it wouldn't be that hard if it was like she has a bigger role that she's playing like maybe maybe there's a reason that she's the one she's staying at another at the other woman's house or whatever um and that other woman was also mourning the stillborn in in episode three these are the types of things though that like yeah when they reveal who the yellow king is and everyone goes, God damn it. That guy was fucking on a lawnmower in episode three. Yeah. Like that's the same thing as if Blair would. would yeah. Be yeah. A that's true. Part of it. Because yeah. if you really think about it, you don't learn shit about the yellow King until the finale. And he's yeah. still terrifying. Yeah. So, that's very true. That's very true. Back the fuck up. I'm, I feel like I'm like sitting here. I didn't expect to go into this podcast just because I have not seen the interweb chatters. Right. I was right. not expecting. You didn't think you're going to be defending. I was thinking I was coming with some nitpicks, but I wasn't like, whoa, people are like jumping ship and don't even want to know how it ends. Like, oh, dude, I'm telling you, man, it's not good. And I'm not saying it's very tough online because a lot of people that are are going to go online are the people that are going to be. If you go into a Reddit, if you go into a Reddit cesspool, you're not going to find anything good in there. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Now, Tyler, let's just really quickly say. So I think that you were like nailing it from the very beginning when you said, you know, let's talk about a logical and illogical 
reason for the deaths. Like Annie Kay might not be or maybe related at all to the scientists, right? There could be that this Blair lady killed Annie Kay and Clark thought that the scientists did it. So Clark kills them using these infrared sounds or something. And it's totally, you know, two different things when you're trying to connect everything together in once. But there's still things like why are the clothes folded by the frozen bodies? You know, yeah, why of, did Julia, right? Yeah. She, why did she fold her clothes <laughs> the same way? Clothes, yeah. So, it's just one of those things where I hope you answer it. Yeah, it's we we got an incomplete still. I mean, we do know, like we know they're going to the ice caverns. We know that Pete is going to Rose Agonals to dispose of these bodies, right? So, like right there, mm-hmm. you just you can start off the episode with like bang bang, like you know, Rose Agonals in the mix, and they're in the caves. You could be in there in, in four minutes, right? And yeah, and when I just set the scene that way, that's where for me, like in a mystery show, you kind of just think about like, where are you leaving me? Where am I going to possibly go in the next couple episodes? So that's why I still feel like they could get a lot of this wrapped up in the next episode. Um, yeah. The Wheeler case that could also go into the category of what I was saying before. Again, just this idea of that there's stress on these relationship stories that are also driving plot because maybe there's, a interesting good payoff because and we also don't know what happened with Danvers kid, right? That what happened in back in the war for Navarro. That these are all the things that we could spin out for a while and, and trust us at home. I will at the end of the season, if these are not answered, I will be just pulling the the lost band-aid if and for any of our lost viewers out there off of this show. But they still have time to answer this. But like I am in that spot where ultimately it's kind of a little bit worrisome that we're spending so much time talking about Wheeler. Like it's cool how they sh- shot it and how Pete figures it out. That's a cool scene. But like is that just all it is is something that they're going to put over their head or do will we find out Wheeler was somehow tied into this? Do you, I think he's done. I think it's it. I honestly think that the plot device for Wheeler was one to make Navarro and Danvers be apart and have to come back together Two for Pete to have a reason even more so to hate Hank and to finally split them up because Hank like you said, Tyler was more capable and Danvers pretty much freaking just said the words that you were saying on the podcast yeah. more capable than yeah. you would think. And he snuck into Pete, who is like the the guy who's the MVP of this entire show, moving the plot for this murder mystery. He's the one doing everything when it comes to finding <laughs> yeah, out stuff. He, He's the true detective. And then he decides to make his laptop password his son's birthday and Hank can go right in and read <laughs> everything. And that's how he, you know, makes the whole thing get put over Danvers and Navarro's head. Yep. And then Pete Buster, but it's not like it changes his thoughts about her. So I, I really do think that that was just all of the reasons for the Wheeler case. And it's over. Maybe you'll show me who takes the I shot. Think still, I think that what they're going to use it for is more of a callback because they are really setting you up as the viewer to think that Navarro did it. And I still believe that Danvers did it when I was thinking about it and they say, Oh, he was shot in the right temple and he's left-handed. I was going, Oh, well, if I think back to the episode, 
Navarro is the one approaching from his right side, but he's kind of got his head turned to the left when he's whistling. So if he turned around, it would be Danvers that would shoot him in the right temple. Right. If you were just thinking about it that way. So I still think like for me, where it can pay off and where I'm hoping it pays off is that they use that flashback because it is very much, we would expect that Navarro would do that, but we would not expect that Danvers would do that. And that, could link back to some of her past trauma and help us understand that a little bit more because he, you know, he obviously triggered something in her for her to kill him. And that's what happened. So Mm -hmm. there's, it really isn't incomplete. And that's part of the fun. I do think in talking about asking the right fucking questions, I know we've been going on for a while here, but we asked a lot of questions in this episode. Unfortunately, we have a checklist of questions. Sometimes the way these shows are, though, the finale is literally just like scene by scene, just check, 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 yep. which I'm thinking this is going to be. Um, and I'm hoping that it pays off. But when I think of the right fucking questions, it's really just comes down to like, to me, at least, are these relationships that they've weaved really going to pay off or are they just a means to an end to progress the plot forward? Um, there's a yeah. lot of questions that we've already asked, but to me, that's kind of like an overarching one that, um, I'm hoping pays off, but I think it's a little bit difficult in one episode to really get there. What about you, Jim? Right. My question to you, and I do have a few more things I want to talk about before we end the episode. I'll try to make them as brief as possible. Cause like you said, we have gone on for a little bit, but number one, do you think, or what do you think will come from these Ghosts, hallucinations, people pointing towards Navarro. We have four different entities throughout the season pointing towards or at Navarro. And I say that for a reason because I have a theory, but I want to know like what you think about that. Yeah. Well, one, my stance is going to be that these, these cases will have a logical solve, but all of the things that, that these characters have seen are also going to be unsolved. And that's part of like trying to weave into this story, the spiritual aspect of it. But for me, all the pointing, it does kind of feel like a, you know, your next come with me type situation where Navarro is maybe going to bite the bullet or she's going to have a, a scene where she could bite the bullet and has to make an active choice not to. Right. Right. Um, but I think, like when it comes to the Salal scientist murder, I think we're going to figure that out and it's going to make sense or whatever sense they want it to make. Um, But when it comes to seeing Travis Cole, seeing the polar bear, seeing some of the, you know, different things that Navarro or Danvers have seen through the season, I think you're going to walk away with that being like, you know, there are some supernatural things out there and these people are living in 40 days of darkness and it's going to play some tricks on you. Yeah. So my thoughts here are and I'm going off like cinematic things that I've watched. And I, again, made a TikTok. I'm having a lot of fun with the theory TikToks. Love it, Check man. us out. Benchtown TV. I don't even know if it's Benchtown TV podcast or Benchtown TV, but either one, you'll find us. So these entities are pointing at her. Is that kid there? I guess the kid's there from this episode. It seemed like the kid was with the mom and, you know, is the family even there? We don't freaking know. But let's just say that these entities are pointing at Navarro. My thoughts are maybe they're pointing behind Navarro, okay? Like I was going to say, there's cinematic stories that I'm not going to spoil here where 
when you see ghosts or you see hallucinations, they're like signs, but signs don't mean anything until you realize and understand what the sign is, right? And I'm thinking of a specific show, and I'm pretty sure you you haven't seen it, Tyler. So again, I'm not going to say the show. If anyone guesses what the show is and they want to hit me up, fine. But it's like a scenario where they're all pointing behind her, right? Look behind you, look behind you, look behind you. And then in the finale, like she's in the caverns and there's a killer coming up from behind her. And Tyler, it's going to be one of your things that you hate where she keeps seeing the people pointing and then she finally decides to turn around and it saves her life or something from the trailer. Somebody hit me up on the TikTok saying, maybe it's not something like that. Maybe it's I'm right, but it's something like Navarro is walking towards the ocean again, like she is in the trailer and Danvers needs her is in peril or it's her call to like go back. Don't walk into the ocean. Go back, right? Something like that, right? It's yeah, like a be, symbolism. I'd be telling happy you, with either of those, to be honest. It's gonna yeah, pay off so, in some way. Right, right. Okay. So another thought I want to talk to you about is we really didn't get too into Hank and Pete, the actual ending, right? We talked about it, but we didn't actually get deep into it. But you know, we have this scenario here where Pete, like you said, the plot drives him to be in the shed behind Danvers. And I'm yep. fine with how he gets there. Yeah, you get. And sure. like I said, Guy's the MVP of this show so far. Like, he is the one moving the plot for the actual murder mystery part of the thing. He's there. Obviously, Hank makes his big turn that everyone was waiting for, or at least we were waiting for. He's going to kill Danvers, right? If Pete's not there, Danvers is gone. You can't not have Danvers be gone there because he just killed. I posted a meme where it's from Always Sunny because it's like, Hank, when he's talking to the mine lady, I'm not a killer. And then like 20 minutes later, it's uh, Danny DeVito from uh, Always Sunny where he's like, anyways, I just came out blasting. (laughs) (laughs) So I just came out blasting. Um, But but like what I'm saying is he kills him. So he was going to kill Danvers. I mean, Danvers is gone. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that part I don't actually know, right? I do believe that that he didn't want to kill Otis. I think he wanted to take him, maybe just leave him out in the eye, essentially kill him, but he didn't want to, like, shoot him. Um, And then with Otis running, he had to do it. My take on that scene was I actually really liked the way it was shot because his first instinct when uh, Pete has the gun put on him is he's like, come on, help me with this. Like, I need your help. I need your help. And it's almost like you can see in his eyes that he resigns to the fact that like blood is not blood for his son right here. And that's why he says, you know, you should know that I just moved her. I didn't kill her because he he legitimately wants that catharsis is how I took it. And Mm -hmm. he brings his hands up like to shoot Danvers. But it's almost like a suicide in my mind. No, I agree for that part. I don't know what he would have done. I don't think that. I honestly don't think that fucking Hank knew what he would have done because he didn't want to be in the spot where he was shooting Otis anyway. He was clearly thrown off on that. Um, And that's why I I honestly thought it more impactful because he ultimately commits suicide because he's just like, fuck, I don't have a son anymore. I just fucked myself because I shot this Mm -hmm. guy. Like, it's over for me. And that was what made it more effective to me. Okay, now my next question when Danvers is saying, don't do this, she's pleading to him. How did you take that? Did you take it as don't go with your dad or don't kill your dad? I don't think because she I wanted, don't want you to go there. Yeah, I don't think she wanted Pete to kill her, his yeah, dad. That's how I took it, too. 
he is like in the show and also in Danvers' eyes, like that. He's the verge. Yeah, he's, he's not pure. corruptible. He's pure. Yeah. The way I took it is, if she's the one that killed Wheeler, which is what I think, then she knows what it means to kill somebody like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and she didn't want him to be in the same boat that she was in, which right. now he is in that same boat. Which is crazy. Like I liked the sequencing of that because I thought it was great when Hank's there because you think it's going to be Navarro. I thought in a lot of shows, it's like really cheesy how like the main protagonist is disarmed. Like she like put her gun down for a second to like look at this fucking map. Like I thought the way that scene worked and the way it was filmed to me was the best part of this. I mean, no matter how deep you think about it, everyone's going, oh shit. But even when you look at it deeper, I walked away being like, whoa, they did a really good job with that scene in my opinion. Right. And here is the last thing I'll say about this scene. And I don't agree with it. I will be very upset if this theory is correct. But there are a lot of people talking about a theory online where Pete was with Hank and involved. I would hate this turn. I think of anybody who, if you want to call Pete a side character, they developed him well where there's emotional. I feel things for Pete, right? Yeah. If you turn him on me, first of all, I don't think it's great. Like, I don't think it's a good idea. Like, I don't think it makes sense for the writing just to be like, it would almost feel to me like it's just like, haha, I was, I was a killer all along. You know, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. He's at all. His, his thin yeah, mustache. His mustache. And so, no, I don't, I don't like that at all, but there are a lot of people talking about it because there are parts in the conversation where Hank is, he's like saying blood is blood. And he's kind of being like, you're going to pick Danvers, but there are some lines and I wish I wrote them down where it's kind of like, I mean, it, it just makes it seem like there's a chance that they were working together. Yeah. Well, look in a mystery. And when I say working together, I, I mean in the past, like with the Annie yeah, stuff, yeah. When he, he would have been like 12. I, mean, I don't freaking well, that's know how old he like, is, but first question when you're thinking about that is how old do you think Pete is? I get the yeah. sense that you're supposed to think Pete is like a 23 year old. Like, like he's been out of the workforce long enough to have risen up, but you got to remember like he probably didn't go to college. So that would give him like five years of experience on the force. And he's not that much older than Leah, who we know is 17. So it's almost like, like maybe he's 21, 22 for all we know. And if he's 21, then he's like 14 to 17 when Annie Kotak is killed. And I just don't buy that. Now, I'm also the person that after the last episode we did, I had a multiple people in my life and on social media saying, Hey, I think you got to look at Kovic a little bit closer. You're getting attached. People to are saying that. Be, but I was like, nah, I think he just legitimately took that stone. And of course, never a doubt. Kovic never comes a doubt. Big, for our he, boy. Yeah. He, all he was doing was just helping with a little bit of detective work on that car. Yeah, Navarro left it, man. I thought yeah. she cursed him with it. Well, I thought he was gone. Well, short answer. Never say never in a mystery. But I don't think that that would really pay off. And I think last episode was Pete's arc, in my opinion, because yeah. like the guy just killed his own fucking dad. Like that's yep. a pretty, uh, a pretty powerful arc. But yeah, maybe maybe I'm wrong. That That's what we love about this show. Right. This is what I actually want people to be in discussion about. Not talking about the writing. Like, right. How much fucking shit have you wrote out there? Reddit user six, nine, six, nine. Nothing. XOXO. So. Last question, you know, we're going through the finish line here. So we have Tuttle and we have the Carcosa symbol. Yeah. Are they needed at all well, as a part of the story to connect to, to I don't season think, one? I, don't, I think Tuttle is similar to Travis um, in the sense that there was going to need to be the name of some random organization tying these two as the shell company. Yeah. 
So I like just using Tuttle. Same way that like if they wanted to create this ghost narrative, uh, seeing the dead narrative, and we're in Alaska and we know that you know Travis Cole and Russ are from Alaska, use that. So I put those in a different camp. The Carcosa symbol, I think, is going to be a little bit more meaningful given tattoos on Annie. We talked about the fact that they cut Annie's tongue out. That could have been because she was kind of like blending into something like she could have gotten that Carcosa tattoo. Now, I know that they say that it made her bad dreams go away, but like, who knows why she got that originally? Um, yeah. And I, I do think that that is actually just more meaningful, uh, especially considering, you know, how. If nothing else, that might just be a nod to how the symbol is something that Clark took and, you know, he has it in his trailer and he's it, it shows if you, there's a terrible underbelly that has got people with this tattoo that know about this symbol. And while it's not being called Carcosa, it's essentially the same idea. So, OK, so you don't think there's an actual connection. You just think that it's I mean, a different yeah, look, place. That's a, using that's, the a, that's a circle line. Like if you go on Google and Google Carcosa, it'll come up and say fake thing from True Detective Season 1. Like it is just a symbol that they use in True Detective Season 1. So they it could just be a nod that they're they're using a symbol like that the same way in Season 4. It doesn't, you know, Carcosa as much as. You know, I believe that it's a thing going on behind the scenes. It's it's uh... right. It's I mean, I'm just saying that because this episode pretty much confirmed that it's used as a warning, which is like, you know, not what we're looking for when it comes to the, that symbol. But um, I also read that Issa Lopez wrote this whole story, took it to HBO and they're like, we love this. Can you make it true detective? So yeah, I've heard that too. So like that could have again be the nod. So that's very possible. Either way, I mean they're they're minor parts. The Carcosa symbol is uh is a little bit more involved. So that's the one I'm tied to. I think Tuttle was fine. I think right, I think like, Tuttle's fine. I don't know. I don't know now. We'll find out in the last episode what everything means, but I don't know if I'm okay with Travis, to be honest, just because I don't know. I feel like when we said that this was brought up, Tuttle. Carcosa symbol Tuttle, if you just want to put it, place it into the season one world of True Detective, then Tuttle would kind of make sense. Just say, hey, we need, like you said, we need a big conglomerate. We need a big whatever to cover shit up and fun stuff. That's fine. But the Travis thing, to me, it just seems like now it's a nod that didn't need to really be made. Yeah, well, let's wait and yeah. see what Rose Agonel's got up her sleeve because she's... yeah. I'm expecting a big finale out of Rose Agonal out of Fiona Schultz's so. character, but maybe maybe there isn't one, but I'm hoping. You have any parting shots, Tyler? No, I mean, again, there's a lot to wrap up, but I am still very much in. I'm going to let, as you said in your tweet, I'm going to let Issa tell her story. Um, yep. And then, you know, look, I, I've got a checklist um, of questions that have mounted up, and I think they're in a spot to answer them, but... And, you know, maybe I could be wrong and they don't answer them well enough and we have a different hey, next pod. But I need a logical explanation. I need my questions to be answered. And there's a lot of weird things when it comes to what does she's awake mean? What does listen mean? What yeah. does the pointing mean? What does or the close fold maybe, mean? Maybe we should create a checklist and we can tweet that out so people at home can just we can play bingo with it. We can check it off as we go. <laughs> yeah, we'll take a shot every time they answer one of our questions. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm taking off from work. Be hammered. <laughs> yeah. 
So, all right, guys. Well, that's it. We know this is a little bit of a long one, but it's the penultimate. We had a lot to talk about, good and bad. So, and Tyler had to defend his show, man. He had to defend his franchise. He loves True Detective. And I don't know. We'll talk about Are we going to cover the other seasons with some noobs, with some rooks? I don't know, Tyler. If we have some time, who knows? We'll see. Let us know if you guys want us to cover that. But, guys, if you like what you heard, check us out at BingetownTV.com. Every single show we've ever covered is there. Every single podcast is there. We have blog posts with theories from other TV shows. Um, We're covering right now Masters of the Air. Avatar The Last Airbender is coming. Kathleen and her girlfriend are covering Bingetown's biggest show right in front of True Detective, which is The Traders, which is like a reality show version of Werewolf, I believe. So they're killing it with that. It's been a... A great month for us. We've been having a, a great time. Yeah, search us on Benchtown TV. Hit that subscribe button on our main feed. That's that's how you guys can support us. That's all we ask. Just subscribe on the uh, main feed. Once again, we are Benchtown TV. We will see you next week. The Night Boys will be here for the finale. Thank you so much for listening. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 